You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Craven Cottage, make some noise for the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Well, 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 what a day for Fulham. The opening day of the Premier League season. And we got a 2-2 draw against the Champions League finalists, Liverpool. But just saying we got a 2-2 draw doesn't paint the full picture, does it? What a performance from Marco Silva's men. And in particular, Alexander Mitrovic. I heard someone saying, can he cut it? in the Prem? And I hear the answer, yes he fucking can. Of course he can. What a performance from the big Serb on the big stage. Jurgen Klopp may have said the pitch was dry, but there is nothing dry about my panel today. Starting off with Mr. Dan Cook, hello. Hi, Sammy, how we doing? Not bad. Need the explicit warning 30 seconds into the pod. Drew Healy, how you doing? Hello, Sammy. Get me a fucking Palina tattoo. Thank you. Oh my word, I'm going to have to be like double explicit. Farrell Monk, how are you? Very good, thanks. Have you got a little beeper there? On your um, little, alongside the horn? No, I mean, I've got like canned laughter if you want it. Oh, I've got that. That's not what I meant to play. <laughs> we can do it in post-edit. That's fine. Um, nah, it's okay. It's the first game of the season and we drew against Liverpool. I think we can afford a couple of swear words. Sorry to all the kids listening, though. Um, what an afternoon. Uh, we're going to discuss everything from the game. Alexander Mitrovic, of course. And at the end, we've got a stack full of your questions. Absolutely loads came in today. But let's start off, as ever, after a match with some three word reviews and Dan Cook I hear there was a lot of them yeah uh, last check 197 I mean I went to Twitter mainly just because I like Twitter but yeah we had 197 Uh, a lot of them were as you would expect uh, centered around our our Serbian pyromaniac you're not going to read them all out now are you (laughs) all 197 (laughs) I thought this was a big bumper Premier League podcast you can do it if you um, want. We'll just stay here for an hour while you read out every single one of them. I've cherry picked some. So we've got uh, FFC Louis with Mitrovic's golden boot as he uh, sat, unfortunately, for not actually that long. It was about 24 hours on his own at the top of the golden boot charts. Uh, we had the wonderful Jack and Lars with Mitro proves point and Chad Perris with yes, Mitro can. Then moving oh. away from that, we had uh, Ab Grandad with Virgil on toast, which I liked. Yes, I saw. Um, I loved that. <laughs> <laughs> there was a very popular one from Mike Levy with Red Prem Redemption, which I did like. And yeah. then two nice ones to sum it up. Fulham Japan with We Are Proud and Chris Ballard with We Are Back. We're back indeed. And what an atmosphere uh, at Craven Cottage. The sun was shining. Fulham put in a good performance. We all thought we were going to get thumped and how wrong we were, Drew. We saw that lineup come out an hour before. Not going to lie. I glanced away from my pint and thought, oh God. We saw 
Rodak and Goal, I was quite surprised. Obviously, we knew that it was going to be uh, Tosin and Tim Ream. We've been talking for weeks and weeks and weeks about whether the old guard can cut it at this level. Mostly, we were pretty pessimistic. And how wrong we were, because Marco has drilled them to death. Wow. It was just so fast-paced from minute one to minute 90. And Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, for a large portion of the game, didn't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly it. It's the pace. For me, the biggest difference between when we were last in the Prem in, you know, properly for our 13-year tenure and the first, and we turned up again in 2018, the difference was the pace and it's only got faster and faster and faster. But we matched them the whole game. And if we can do that against Liverpool, we can do that against anyone else in this league. But it was, you know, the lineup came out, I looked at it, Obviously, there were no. For me, there were no real surprises. I didn't. I thought there was um, there was very little benefit to chucking Leno in today with what we thought was going to happen. Um, it just felt like um, it was probably a good chance to say to Rodak, "Okay, look, this is your. You want a chance? This is your chance." Knowing full well that you know it's there's low expectation on a game like that. Obviously, Ream in. I mean, again, why would you? Why would you put somebody like Shane Duffy in? That would never. That was never going to happen. So the the lineup for me, I was. I'd made peace with uh, long ago, um, but it was just that pace. It stuck with the way it started, and, I, and the the way we kept that up with them. I was thinking, there's no way we, there's no way these players can do that for ninety minutes. And amazingly, they did it, and we did it in the stands. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, Farrell, um, the atmosphere was absolutely rocking. It really makes a difference just having like a small strip of fans in the Riverside, I felt, because you do now get that noise from all around. I mean, it's going to be amazing when that top tier opens, but the ground was looking beautiful. Obviously, you know, that pitch was was bone dry. Um, it was it was a real disgrace, um, really. Um, made Coventry's pitch um, look good, didn't it? Um but yeah, it was it was a fantastic atmosphere and matched by the performance on the pitch. I, I remember just thinking of a few minutes before kickoff, I was like, wow, the crowd's up for this. There were so many good vibes about yesterday, you know, turning up um, quite early on. The sun was shining. It was a beautiful day out. Um, I was there quite early handing out flyers for the FST newsletter. But uh, everyone had loads of smiles on their faces. Everyone was really up for it. And I think that translated to the players on the pitch as well. You could tell straight from the off that the players were up for it. I don't know whether Marco Silva's been showing a lot of the players about the doom and gloom that a lot of pundits and and fans alike have been saying about this team. Um, But straight from the off, um, it looked very positive. We were playing on the front foot. Um, which was in comparison, strangely, to the Liverpool team who turned up quite looking quite tired and underprepared, whereas Fulham looked prepared for it. They had a clear game plan every single time that uh, Liverpool tried to play it forward, whether it was Tosin, Ream, Paulinia, Reed, Robinson, Tete, they were all defending on the front foot, trying to nip it off the, off the toes of, of the Liverpool attackers. And it worked really, really well. And we pressed them in the right areas and we attacked in the right areas. And it lasted for all 90 minutes. It was an absolute joy to watch. And it meant it wasn't just smiles entering the stadium. It was smiles exiting the stadium too. It was indeed. It was indeed. It was definitely smiles in the pub afterwards as well. Um, Dan, I enjoyed on Match of the Day that um, they clarified that they thought Jurgen Klopp was wrong to say that 
Liverpool were poor and they actually really pointed out well it was because Fulham made them look poor and it really felt like that yes Liverpool weren't fully at the races you need that against a side well you need it against all of the big six sides but you really need it especially against the top two if you're facing Liverpool or City if you get them on a good day you can play as well as you want but they're gonna absolutely slaughter you so there was an element of like Liverpool looked a bit off it but Fulham just really did not let them settle and we pressed them and pressed them and even for that first three minutes when I think it was Pereira who um, got one an interception just got his head on it went to Mitrovic he kind of had a half chance took it with outside of his foot which was just the wrong decision from Mitrovic but it was that early statement of intent that you're not going to get a moment's piece at the back today and I, I think as as Farrell and Drew alluded to I was just surprised that we were able to keep that up for 90 minutes and, and not get tired yeah I, th- I think Marco and his team deserve so much credit for this because this is where the difficult thing this season is, right, last season we had a formula that we could use and basically plug and play every game because we knew we'd go out and dominate teams. Uh, and this year we're going to have to adapt. And this is the most adaptation I've seen uh, since Marco Silva took over. And it was brilliant. You know, we looked so we looked to stop Liverpool doing what they wanted to do, which is why I think it made Liverpool look like they had a poor day because we just actively stopped them doing what they're good at. So we set up with two banks of four when we were out of possession, which I thought was really, really good. You had Polina and Reed patrolling in front of that back four. The lines between them were really tight. It meant that none of those Liverpool forwards could basically get the ball in between our midfield and our defence, which is that danger area where you want to keep them away from it. And it means that, one, they're not receiving the ball there, and two, it means that Tosin and Tim Ream don't have players charging directly at them because they don't have the space or the time to do it. I think that's part of the reason why Roberto Firmino was just completely anonymous is because we cut out all of the area where he operates. And I thought it was brilliant. I, I, don't, I think Liverpool, yeah, were poor, but it was so much to how we forced them into playing. You know, They ended up having to go over the top and try and get in behind us. We set up our line really well. The number of times they played sort of aimless over-the-top through balls that were easy for Marek to, to sweep up. I thought it was brilliant from us. Yeah, um, Drew, let's come on to Mitro's first goal. There'd been a few warning signs, that chance that I mentioned in the third minute. Um, I think Cabano um, should have done slightly better with a cross to find Mitrovic, who was, he was open, he absolutely fizzed it across and, and Mitrovic couldn't quite get his head to it. And then the goal, um, really nice build-up play. Smart from Cabano, kept himself on side when he was offside, but he played himself back on. I think Matip uh, helped in that regard. A Kung Fu Kenny sweep thing cross to the back post. And Alexander-Arnold uh, was just a rabbit in headlights, wasn't he? The great train, as Alexander Mitrovic, was roaring towards him and just overpowered him. Uh, and look, Alexander-Arnold is not a famous header of the ball. He has not um, just outdone um, Maldini or Cannavaro here. But still, you just saw in that moment, everything that we knew about Alexander Mitrovic was shown right then. He actually showed other qualities later on. We'll talk about the Cruyff turn and the penalty a little bit. But just that moment was prime Alexander Mitrovic, what we scored, saw all of last season and... I just don't think that it matters who you're playing against in defence, whether it's Van Dijk or Alexander-Arnold. You put a big ball in the air like that from Kenny Tete, no one fancies Alexander Mitrovic coming at them. And and what a moment. The place erupted. 
It really did. Um, it really did erupt. And, you know, the first game of the season, it, it sets the tone and, and the, you know, the performance sets the tone and so many different narrative uh, elements of the narrative set the tone. And for Mitrovic to open the season's account from open play, from a header, you know, absolute vintage Alexander Mitrovic. It was it was exactly what we needed to set that tone. Um, I thought, you know, I actually said it, it, with my biggest optimistic hat on, I reckon we could get a two all draw today, but our goals will be from a set pieces. So to open open scoring from open play in such a in such a textbook way was exactly uh, what the doctor ordered. And you know, I think we're all so bored of sort of defend. I mean, we're all so bored of defending Mitrovic to people who don't understand Mitrovic. And, uh, you know, yesterday it was just the perfect way to announce our return. I think um, the the last two seasons that we've been in the Premier League, we've not belonged. We've been out of our depth from day one. And I think even, you know, whatever happened throughout that season, all the little slithers of hope that we got, I don't think we ever really in our heart of hearts felt like we belonged. Uh, And Mitrovic showed yesterday that he belonged. And we showed yesterday that we belong um, just from from first to last minute. So it was uh, it was the perfect, perfect way to start the day and to reward everybody in the stands as well who literally put in a shift. Because I'm telling you what, it's it's hard. It, I, I, won't, I sound like a, an old man. And I am an old man in many ways, but it's hard to keep the energy levels up for 90 minutes. I find, uh, you know, you settle down and you sit back into the game and you start watching the game and you're and then but you have to watch and you have to sing and you have to be and and everybody kept it up from from one to 90 yesterday. And I, I do think you need to be commended for that because it ain't easy. Yeah, it's an impressive time to keep it up. Um, Farrell, coming on to Mitrovic, um, we play football on a Thursday and um, <laughs> it was quite funny. We, we were just um, getting ready to play a football match that actually never happened. It got cancelled. It was really weird. We got to the pitch and they were like, no, sorry, you can't play today, which is a bit annoying. Anyway, that's another story. And um, you know how that kind of, you have that pitter patter beforehand and uh, you're wearing a Fulham top and a couple of the people are like, oh, how do you think Fulham's going to get on this season? And someone said it, didn't they? You're like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. But Mitrovic can't talk, can't cut it in the Premier League. And I, I enjoyed what you said um, afterwards. You were like, yeah, it's fine. I have um, just uh, two cards in either pocket. One is explaining how Alexander Mitrovic can cut it in the Premier League. And the other one is that we are not Norwich City and we are not necessarily a yo-yo club. We were there for 13 years before this recent up and down period do you think honestly I wonder if after one game it may have put the debate to bed slightly yes okay if if somehow Alexander Mitrovic didn't score for the rest of the season maybe you could bring that up again but I just looked at that performance yesterday I was like that's it that's what we know he can do is what we've been saying for all this time it may have just kind of given us at least a month's respite from the whole tired Mitrovic debate. And, and we've seen some pundits on Twitter and, and what they were saying in the week about Mitro, the same old cliche. So at least one thing I feel like we can put in a box, whether Fulham stay up and all of that, still very much up for debate. It was only one game, but I'm hoping that maybe just people will put some respect on Alexander Mitrovic's name. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The, the the thing is, though, is that they'll, one tired cliche may be replaced by another tired cliche towards the end of next season. They might bring back the, you know, they might bring back that tired cliche that Fulham have a neutral stand, even though that we don't anymore, for example. Or they'll bring back up the clappers, which we didn't see the clappers yesterday. We saw the, I don't know what they were, the the sort of cloth, almost like neckerchiefs that people were using to try and keep the sun off them. 
But that's just football. It's full of tired cliches. It's full of like really, really, you know, off the cuff comments that sum up an entire football club. You know, we're not all, uh, you know, cheese eating, port drinking uh, uh, football fans. I mean, I probably am. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But not all of us are, Um, you know, and that that's okay. That's all part of the whole experience. And it's all part of the the conversation generating that kind of like small talk, you know, especially if you're turning up to a football game where you're not necessarily socializing with these people on a regular basis and they're trying to sort of fill the silence with something. Oh, he's wearing a Fulham shirt. I know, I know this little tidbit about Fulham. Mitrovic can't do it in the Premier League. Go. And that's, that's okay. We can all deal with that, those sorts of things. But yeah, it's it's all part of it. We know we all know that Mitrovic can do it. Yesterday certainly proves that. He's proved it before as well. Um, and I love the fact that he had a bit of a Tom Kearney-esque performance towards the end of that game. The fact he was picking the ball up in deeper positions and was able to relieve the pressure on the back line quite well. It reminded me of Tom Kearney's performance in the playoff final um, against Villa, where you know he was just able to sort of pick the ball up, not worry about the opposition trying to harry the ball off him. He was nutmegging Matip at one stage on the on the left wing, which was a beautiful little moment, which doesn't get as much, uh, didn't get as much publicity as as his little Cruyff turn um, that sold a couple of Liverpool defenders. It was, it, it was just, it was a wonderful performance. I think there was, it, it's a performance that got better and better as the game went on. I thought that he was deserving of his, of his goal, uh, which was, you know, a classic one as you've, touched on before and I but I thought the performances around him were better at that particular time but then he showed his worth more and more and you know he's he's deserving of all the headlines he he got this morning that's for sure yeah I, th- I think there there were two things we saw from him which were sort of two sides to him which was the normal Mitrovic side that we are used to seeing so I had to look at the numbers he won 13 headers in that game and the entire Liverpool team won 19 so he's 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 nearly outheaded the entire opposition, which is sort of the sort of thing you expect from him. But I, I was thinking while we, the game was going on, I can't remember the last time I saw him get in behind a defensive line as often as he did yes on Saturday as well. You know the, the number of times that he tried to make runs past that Liverpool back four just to give us a different option, just to give us a different dimension, let us be a little bit more direct, get the ball into dangerous areas. You know, it's a guy who's still wanting to work on his game uh, and he wants to do anything that he can to help this team. It was just such a, an all-round complete performance. Farrell, as you mentioned there, the moment where he kind of, I don't really understand what happens with Jordan Henderson, but he swats him away like a fly. Like, you know, <laughs> go away. And then Jordan Henderson's like all limbs just goes on the floor. And then you see him, he was running into a blind alley. I was like, oh, you can't, you know, what are you going to do here against Virgil van Dijk? And then Coif turns him. I'm just like, what are we witnessing? That was up there with the moment where Harvey Elliott slipped and actually Fulham went in <laughs> after that as well as my most enjoyable moments um, of of the day. I love how much Jordan Henderson takes his frustration, the fact he can't, he, he couldn't handle the Fulham team yesterday out on the referee the whole time. He he was he was out battled in midfield by Harrison Reed. He obviously didn't like Mitrovic throwing him to the to the floor. Uh, but every opportunity Henderson got, he directs his anger at the referee. It's almost as if the leader of the entire team tries to make excuses for their bad performance. I, I, I don't know what it is. 
Um, let's come on to the middle of the pitch, Drew, because um, I'm really confused how Jao Polinia got lost on his way to Man City um, and somehow ended up at Fulham. What's a player? And um, in the pub afterwards, Jack was like, oh, I told you he was a good player. I was like, yes, Jack. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, fair play because he just unbelievable. He was everywhere. Just every moment there was a fire on the pitch. Jalpolini was there to to put it out. And, and you rightly mentioned Harrison Reed, who also played fantastic. And there maybe just is a little bit of a new shiny toy element to the praise that Polini is getting. But wow, Drew, we have picked ourselves up a player. And if he is at Fulham in 12 months, then I'm going to be shocked. Yeah, it's uh, Musa Dembele, the first vibes, isn't it, with with Jao Polina. I was thinking mm. about what what song will we sing for him, and uh, I was thinking we all dream of a team of Palinias, but I felt like we had one at times yesterday because he was absolutely everywhere. Um, I at half time, my dad actually said, "Oh, I think he might get uh, he, with this ref, he might get sent off just because he is so intense, so physical, and so active." But he didn't because he does it in the right way. He's so uh, this is, well. Yesterday he was so precise in in everything that he was doing that he didn't didn't give the ref much of a chance to do anything. There was the one contentious element uh, just with our goal, just in the build up to the goal. But he was he was fine. Um, it, he was incredible, and I I he's my new favorite player. It's that shiny toy thing, as you said. I just absolutely love the work rate. I love the it's it's the work rate combined with the quality, and it's like you say, you know lost on the way to man city it's not it's not a reach he was he has been absolutely uh, incredible in what i saw yesterday and i'm i'm buzzing to see what what it will be like in the rest of the season i think yesterday he really helped out uh reem and, and tosin as well letting them have a bit more of a, a comfortable game so yeah i just think uh mitrovic gets the headlines but when you're looking for man of the match i'd think look no further than than joao is it is that what jack says joao Oh, just, just say it. We, we can just say it normally. Although I did going, learn yesterday yeah. how to spell his name because I kept getting it wrong. So I now just have it in my head as Pal Hinha. That's how I now yeah. remember how to spell his name because <laughs> it was really annoying me. I was like, oh, there's so many H's in there. I don't get it. But just Pal Hinha. And I've got I need it. the spelling for my tattoo. So thanks. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, of course. Maybe <laughs> maybe check before, um, before <laughs> relying on my little <laughs> phrase. Um, Dan, you had some numbers on... on Oh, on Palhinha. Um, so uh, yeah, what 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 came through? Yeah, just just some really standout things, which I guess you know we've all seen the eye test of like we saw what happened, but the numbers really back it up. But twenty five pressures in the game, which is the most on the pitch between either side. Six tackles, most for Fulham, and the equal most in the match. Five progressive passes, equal highest for Fulham. Six passes into the final third, which is the second most for Fulham. And he won five aerial duels, which was only behind Mitrovic and Van Dijk. Like, it's just such a complete all-round midfield performance, you know, off the ball, with the ball, in duels. It's just incredible. And we've got such a well-rounded midfielder here. And it's so... Nice. I think that we've got we're gonna have a real nice balance in this midfield because he just anchors it all. Um Farrell, one other player that I wanna come on to who I feel like deserves particular praise is Anthony Robinson. Now look, we could spend the whole podcast, I think, genuinely going through the starting eleven and even the subs um as to who deserves credit in the game. I want to give Ream credit, Tolson credit. Um, Pereira credit and there were so many good performances on the pitch probably Deca Dover-Reed played brilliantly but for me Anthony Robinson on the left hand side you're up against not just Mo Salah but also Trent Alexander-Arnold the way that they switch positions as well like you just don't know who to mark and 
for 95% of it, I just felt like Anthony Robinson was spot on. He really didn't give Mo Salah um, many opportunities to, you know, cause the havoc that he can. Yes, I know that the goal, the first goal does come from that side, but I don't really think Robinson was was fully to blame there. Um, and, and Robinson's had a lot of stick, but we always said, all through last season, we said, look, he has the physicality and the pace to cope with those top wingers that we're going to face week in, week out in the Premier League. And I think we saw a little bit yesterday as to why Marcus Silva has persevered and kept with the faith in Robinson, because that's the performance that he can put in. Yeah, and I think I think you've covered it quite well there already. That, And I don't want to go over the whole sort of like Robinson uh, debate that we've had at length over the past year anyway. Yeah. Um, but more than matched up to Mo Salah athletically. There was a there was that point uh, towards the end of the game and Robinson's already run his absolute heart out and the ball goes over to, up to Mo Salah. And Mo Salah, time and time again, gets his body in the way and sort of either goes down or makes a chance of it or, or gets a goal. But Robinson was able to match him for it, get in the right position and hand him off brilliantly. And it was a beautiful moment. And then sold him a dummy as well. It was a beautiful moment that summed up a, a very, very good, capable performance from from Robinson. Um, and he, he was up and down that left-hand side. He was backing up um, uh, Bobby Decadova-Reed um, very, very well. On, on both sides, that was happening quite a lot. The amount of times that Robinson was backing up uh, Reed whenever that ball was played over the top for him. Um, and on the other side, Harrison Reed. it wasn't so much Kenny Tete as much, but Harrison Reed on the right-hand side, whenever that ball went uh, past... Cabano and was able to make a little bit of space. Harrison Reed was always there to support. And it shows the level of detail that Marco Silva has instilled in this squad that we we feel like we're better than the sum of its parts. Um, and Robinson was a big key in that, as he was key throughout last season, as much as he's got his his detractors and doubters, he is key to this to this team. That's why he starts so many games under, under Marco Silva. And I think this performance yesterday probably solidifies his position at left back for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, I will disagree slightly, Sammy, that I do actually think the first goal is a lot his fault, but it's a it's a very easy mistake to make. I think he just thinks he can get there and he gets dragged mm-hmm. into Harvey Elliott and he just doesn't quite yeah. get there. And it's not, you know, yes, it's a mistake, but equally, if he does nip in there, he then caps out what is what would have been a dangerous attack anyway. Um but the way he played Salah out of the game, especially in the first half, was so commendable. I mean, in part, yes, through his speed, because, you know, the number of times Salah tried to get in behind him and he just couldn't. And I don't think he's very often been matched up against a fullback that quick. Uh, but also in the way that he was, whenever Salah had his back to goal, Anthony Robinson was right on top of him. And it just led to Salah drifting further and further inside the pitch, getting narrower and narrower, just to try and get away from Anthony, which is such a credit to a fullback if your winger just had enough and just decides to take up different positions. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool yeah. seemed to have have a game plan of trying to hit over our fullbacks and it wasn't working. They changed up a little bit in the second half, but they still tried it um, quite a lot and it just didn't work for them because I don't think that they were prepared for how good our defensive performance was going to be. Um, and that's probably why, and, it, and you know, it's just not going to be very popular, but I think it's more down to good play from Harvey Elliott more than a mistake from Anthony Robinson for that first goal. But, you know, it's, it's, 
it's, I don't know, again, fine lines a little bit. Um, but overall, I think that Robinson more than made up for it, whatever mistake that, that might have been. Harvey it was annoyingly good when he came on. I was just a bit like, oh, <laughs> he really wrote. I, I don't, I really enjoyed a moment where, um, I, I'm not going to say it parents, but where we pray, where we sang Fabio Carvalho's name and then very much did not, uh, sing a nice song about, um, Harvey Elliott, but I mean, it, it definitely wound him up and, uh, he, he put in a, a good performance to be fair to Harvey. Um, let's come on to the penalty drew. Um, I must admit from the stands, I was a bit surprised to see it given just because it was a bit of a swan dive from Alexander Mitrovic. And I felt like that was the kind of moment that a lot of referees would go, no, get up, stop diving. I thought it was quite a brave call to make, particularly against Liverpool. And the referee got quite a bit of stick yesterday. I thought he made a couple of baffling decisions, particularly in the middle of the park, but I think he got the key one right. But just so incredible from Alexander Mitrovic to, to do that to Virgil van Dijk. Apparently it's the first time that Virgil van Dijk has been successfully dribbled past. I mean, one hell of a stat anyway. That's I still can't amazing. quite wrap my head around it. Um, but yeah, right call and a brilliant play from Mitrovic. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to think, I think uh, there's been some sort of uh, masterclass in coaching about obviously uh, obviously we've had VAR back which is something that we've not had to deal with in for a season but those little intricacies play for them because uh, I, I I was the opposite I thought from where I was sat in Hammersmith and I thought it was a penalty but I think I got I got um I got sort of sucked in by by the uh, the way that Winterish went to ground because it was uh, when when they had the coming together quote unquote um, it was so perfectly timed. But so when you look at it, a match of the day, obviously it's the coming together of the knees um, and it's and it's light, but it's a penalty and it's the nuances and it's the real sort of minute details that they've obviously said. Look, guys, don't worry. There's gonna be a there's gonna be a, a, a video scrutinizing this. Like if you feel the slightest bit of contact or if you can play for the slightest bit of contact, which I think Mitrovic did, then. Uh, then they're going to look at it, and you'll and you'll probably withstand you will withstand the scrutiny of of the video referee. Um, so I think it was a perfect uh, way to sort of uh, get it to sort of back you up because I don't think that that's not given in the championship at all. No, um, and and Drew, I also thought like it was quite a big moment the penalty. We, oh man! I, I mean, last year he was fantastic from the spot. He only missed that one uh, penalty kick, I think, early in the season uh, against Stoke when we were three 0 up, and it didn't matter. Um, but Mitrovic's penalty record in the Premier League is not good, um, and um, you know it really cost us that game at, at Sheffield United. And he's up against Allison, and that was it for him to stick that away. It's a huge boost because we need Mitrovic to be prolific from the spot. It's going to be crucial for us in games. Um, so yeah, I was I was delighted to see that go in. I can't say I wasn't nervous before that. I, I, my nerves eased on Mitrovic a lot last year from the spot because he did just seem to tuck them away with ease. But but that was a big one. Yeah, and I think our penalty record as a club in the Premier League certainly recently has also been awful i mean obviously i still have ptsd over lookman at west ham um but there, there's there is there have been more uh famous misses than anything else uh certainly in the premier league but um yeah so i'm preconditioned like many of the rest of us to just think well okay i'm really glad we got the pen but i'm pretty sure this is not gonna this is gonna get saved by allison i don't think that mitrovic is gonna sky it or, or miss the target at all i just think you're up against allison i think you'll probably save it but it was two things. It was the confidence and the, and the precision of the stroking it into the bottom corner, but also the celebration. 
Mitrovic didn't, he wasn't releasing sort of uh, the frustration that, oh my God, I can't believe I've, I've actually scored that penalty. He knew he was going to score that penalty. He was just, he was just in his element. He was, he was, uh, he was like a pig in muck and is exactly what you want Mitrovic to be like. Um, we talk a lot about setting the tone on the first day, but for him now, after those after those two goals and the way that he dispatched that penalty and won it himself, we know he's a yeah the old crazy hand. He is he's a confidence player, and we've got a lot of confidence players in uh, our squad, and we always we always seem to attract them. But he's a confidence player, and that's exactly the tonic that we needed for him on day one. And I think that's going to light the spark, uh, if you excuse the, the poor attempt at wordplay. Me, yeah. Um, he uh, did learn his lesson though from the first uh, goal and, and and didn't knee slide on the bone dry pitch. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised his knees didn't get burnt. Yeah, that did look like what that looks like. What happened if I tried to like knee slide in like Sunday league? It was like, oh, ah, no, that was a bad idea. Ouch. Um, yeah, he learned his uh, lesson on that first one. Um, Dan, the equalizing goal, I can't lie and say I wasn't a bit disappointed. Obviously, what could have been and and considering how solid we were i felt like for the final 10 plus 5 added minutes actually it was quite an avoidable goal um mix up between reem and and tosin really i think tosin just doesn't think that reem's going to get anything on it he's slightly caught out by the way it flicks off his head and just a little, a little bit of luck as well, isn't it? The way it just falls between um, Nunes and, and Salah. But it was an unfortunate one. And and really, I genuinely think Fulham could have held on to a win yesterday. I don't think Liverpool were creating that much. No, yeah, I agree. I think we, we, I think we probably would have held it. It's just one of those scrappy goals, it is. And there are a couple of defensive mistakes in there. You know, I, th- I think for a start, too much time to deliver the ball in, which, you know, at that point we were a little bit stretched, a little bit leggy. Fine, it happens. Yeah, Tosin maybe should make it a bit clearer. If he gives Reem a shout there, it's probably into the Riverside stand off Tosin's head. And slightly Kenny Tete as well, I think, sort of got rid of his defensive duties when Darwin Nunez has stolen in in between him and Tosin and he's sort of gone untracked once Tosin gets sucked into the ball. But it's going to happen, isn't it? You know, we can't be defensively perfect constantly and it just, it was that moment and it's Liverpool and they're going to, they're clinical and it happens. It was a, a little bit of like a punch in the gut. I, I remember exactly when it went in. I just, my head sort of went down and you're like, oh, that's, that was our chance. That was, that's three points gone. But I think very quickly after that, the sort of the reality came through and you're like, no, two, two, take it a point. Wow. This is still incredible. Yeah, it didn't seem to deflate the crowd too much, Farrell, and and everyone was just really hoping that we could hold on to the 2-2. Liverpool put pressure on in in stoppage time. Henderson hit the bar um, and, and just a really great point for for us yes one point is not a massive amount in in the scheme of what we need this season we probably need about eight wins eight draws if we're to try and stay in the league but that is such a bonus point considering that not just pundits all of us thought that was going to be three four nil liverpool going into that game it's it really sets us up nicely a really big bonus point got to follow it up though now with um Either a result against Wolves or a result against Brentford, ideally both. But we've got to follow this up now with wins in easier games. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, I think I heard two or three times this game being described as somewhat of a free hit um, as well. So, yeah, 
you know, to come away, to come away with a point is, is massive, but you know, um, you know, against Wolves, against Brentford, those are the, those are the games that we're going to be really needing to take points off as well. But every ge- every game is an opportunity to pick up points. And as long as we stay competitive in every single one of those games, we're giving ourselves a really, really big chance here. Hopefully in a few weeks' time we'll be, you know, we'll at least have our first win under our belt, which would be much, much sooner than the last two Premier League campaigns, that's for sure. And the only other question is, Sammy, what is the criteria to sound the horn? Oh, I not even, I've not even thought about the horn this season. And I mean, I not the horn you did at the start of this pod that I, I'm not talking about that one because <laughs> that would be every loss that you would have to do that one. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about, I don't feel like there could be any criteria, maybe top, like top 10. Yeah. So we're never sounding the horn after. Yeah. After <laughs> I mean, it has to be. It has to be good. I mean, if we stay up, then great. The horn is a reward. It's not. It's not a right. We need. You know. We need to be top ten to be rewarded with Sammy's horn. I'm having a thing. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Fit. I'm not sold on it being top ten. That was off the top of my head. I will have a think, but it's got to be a bit more than just a draw on the opening day. I feel like no I'm matter. Not, if we have I mean, maybe. Maybe if we change it to HMS Piss the League, we change it from that to sort of like Piss the Bottom 10 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy with <laughs> Not HMS quite as catchy, is it? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will give it a thought. If you fancy um, emailing me for what the, cr- the horn criteria for this season should be, then um, I'm, I'm all ears. Right, we're going to take a break. Uh, your question's coming up very, very shortly, but I want to get everyone's opinion on our latest signing, Shane Duffy. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast It's Sammy James here with Drew Heatley, Dan Cook and Farrell Monk. Um, thank you to all of you who are backing Fulhamish in uh, the Fulhamish community, uh, which is over on Telegram. Um, we're having so much fun over there. Um, it's really, really great. Um, and it's just a way of supporting the pod, really. So if you enjoy uh, what we make either as a podcast or enjoy reading our articles or enjoy uh, watching our videos. Um, you can help support the content. Um, and as a bonus, you get access to our telegram group. We've got three chats, a main chat, a tickets chat, and uh, also a transfers chat, which is still um, a great source of information for, for all the latest transfers. Uh, if you can help us, it's much appreciated. You can get a two week free trial uh, link in the description of this podcast, or just go to fullamish.co.uk and look for the link that says support Fulhamish. Um, we really do appreciate it. But of course, if you can't afford to join us or you don't want to, then all our podcasts, all our content, remains absolutely free Uh, it's just a way of supporting us if you can and we hugely appreciate uh the hundred or so of you that do because um it's yeah it means a hell of a lot to us um so thank you very much um on friday uh we got a new signing um not gonna lie did not see this one coming dan shane duffy on a season-long loan um from brighton uh jack collins will be happy uh, a boy in green uh representing fulham on the pitch we saw him very, very briefly in the Liverpool game. He came on for the kind of final three, four minutes. I don't not even 100% sure he touched the ball, um, but he came in there just to shore up uh, the defence. Um, he's 30 years old, which took me by surprise. I thought Shane Duffy was a hell of a lot older than that. He feels like he's been around for, for years. Um, what do you think about this one? There's a lot of, there was a lot of rolled eyes to, to this transfer. Maybe a bit 
above our station, I feel like to be rolling our eyes at, at Shane Duffy um, was, was my opinion. He's an experienced Premier League um, centre-back and look, clearly we're going for someone big, aren't we? We clearly want someone like Issa Diop or Jan Vestergaard, but I do think that this seems like a really smart move. Bring him in for a season. It's a stopgap and you never know. He might be all right. Yeah, I, I think part of the the reason for the response is that it's not the sexiest of signings in many regards. Poor Shane Duffy, he's not blessed with looks either. But he's he's what he's not that. <laughs> he looks like me. I mean, we have been blessed. Lad. We have been blessed with some good-looking centre backs uh, over the past few years. I've got to admit, I want my centre back to be ugly. I don't want a pretty yeah, centre back. Yeah, and that's that. They, he ticks that box. Um, but well, <laughs> a nice, I'm, like, I'm looking at an ugly back four right here. Then, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. But, I feel like he's. <laughs> but I think I think it's a sensible one because yeah, if you look at his numbers last season, they were all right in the games he played. He's very good in the air, which is going to be useful at times, especially if we have to sit a bit deeper. Uh, the experience is great. If you look at the Brighton fans' response to it, it's a mixture of, yeah, great servant for the club, still plays at a good level, but probably right for him to move on, which I think sounds all right for us. He is stepping down from Brighton because Brighton are a better team than we are. And so just because he's not deemed good enough for them doesn't mean he won't be good enough for us. I don't think he's been brought in as what's going to be a first choice centre-back, but a very capable rotation option. And also in, in games, you know, it's not a massive Marco Silva trait, but invariably at times a season, we will need to lump on an extra centre-back. And if that's someone as good in the air as Shane Duffy, that's exactly what you want, right? If you're sitting deep, as someone who's going to get in there, win headers, clear his lines. Yeah. One unintended consequence of Shane Duffy coming on yesterday was working out when he did come on if we had made the allotted substitutes in the in the blocks we were allowed to because I had that conversation with my brother about wait a moment we've already made three subs we're only allowed to we're only allowed to make uh, five in three blocks but I forgot that we had made a double substitution in one block already so we were allowed to make one more after that. And I wonder whether that plays in the back of someone like Marco Silva or the manager's minds this season. Like, do you save that last block of substitutes just in case with five minutes to go, you get an injury and then you can't make a sub? Or am I, or am I reading the rules wrong? Are you allowed to make a sub if someone goes off injured? Because you're only allowed to make them in three blocks, are you? Apart from half time. I need a check. I thought you could yeah, only make it in three blocks. I don't know if an injury. Three three blocks and half time is separate. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm um, too old for a fund such a fundamental change in the rules of football. Like it, I forgot about it and it found out. I remembered on Saturday, and I was like, "This is too much for me. Like I, this is changing everything that I know, and I don't like change." <laughs> How are people with VAR? How are you with VAR, Drew? We benefit from VAR more than we don't historically, I think. So I don't mind it. And also it's like a little extra, little extra fun. We do need to put it on the screens though. Yes. Apparently there was a technical issue. Oh, no, really? We've never done it. We've never done it on the screen. We haven't done We We should, because it's just ridiculous. Like why it, it, it's classic Fulham. Like we're going to keep our cards close to our chest. It's not clever. It's just annoying. Like, I don't know what's going on. And then you get the double cheer from the Liverpool fans on both goals. And you're like, fuck off. I just need to know what's going on. I need it on the screen. If you're going to do it. 
<laughs> I do think they have to. I'm pretty sure that was because I was always under the impression that if there is a big screen, it has to say VAR goal review. And I always remember it because they made two exceptions for grounds that don't have uh, digital scoreboards, which at the time I think was Anfield and Old Trafford. I, don't, I think they've now yeah. installed them. I know the two grounds you are not expecting to not have digital scoreboards uh, or like, div- like TV screens. They had scoreboards with no TV yeah. screens and it was, it was Old Trafford and Anfield and they said, oh, they'll put, they'll try and put it on the scoreboard somehow. I don't know if they've now installed a screen. They probably have, but... Um, I reckon they installed that screen at Anfield the same day that the guy who does the announcements at Liverpool's first day, which is about 80 years ago as well. I think oh, yeah. he's been doing... I think he's been doing it for that long. The most dour goal announcements. <laughs> yeah, for such a, such a passionate club and he's the one that represents them and he's always like, goal scorer number nine, Roberto Firmino. Yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather have that than the announcer at like the Brentford announcer or the Chelsea announcer who got, who got unceremoniously sacked a few years ago. That was, that's funny. Nothing is worse than the, uh, than the Brentford announcer. Nothing, nothing makes me hate (laughs) football more than when I ever hear that absolute tosser. Um, go like, come on, young bees. Um, (laughs) you'll hear it when we play them later this season. If you, if you don't know it, he he is an awful, awful man. Um, I mean, he might be a nice guy in fairness, but whenever he gets on the mic, (laughs) nothing, um, annoys me more, but yeah, Shane Duffy, our latest signing. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, I imagine there's going to be more sightings probably later this week it feels like um one of the centre-back rumors is incoming Vestergaard seems to be getting closer but anyway we'll touch on that on the Thursday club uh, we're going to take a break afterwards we're going to look at some of your questions Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Let's get into some of your questions then. Um, loads coming through. Um, Chris Harris asks, does yesterday's excellent performance help or hinder silver in the transfer market? Um, interesting one, this. And does it, do you think uh, Tony Khan and Alistair McIntosh uh, gave uh, Marco a text saying, eh, not too bad, the squad, is it? They seem to, seem to do all right with uh, who you had out on the pitch. Maybe stop giving us such stick in the press conferences there, Marco. Um, can't win, can he, for Marco Silva? Um, Dan, what do you think? Is, there, is, is this any hindrance? or, or didn't you, Maybe not hindrance, but do you think maybe Marco's going, mm, okay, actually, maybe my squad's better than I realised or, or gave them credit for? I don't know. I I think, if anything, potentially a help because straight off the bat, we've shown, right, we are competitive, we're ready. And look, I never thought we'd do this, but you look at some teams when they come up and they do make their transfers with half an eye on relegation in the next season, the championship. Whereas I think Saturday was a massive green light for, right, if we get the next two or three signings right before deadline day, this is very much a team that's capable of staying up and and not not just inching over the line, but maybe getting there with a little bit to spare because we've got a very good manager with a good core squad that just needs a couple of additions. And I think it's an easy now for Marcus Silva to be like, right, I just need two or three more in these positions. Help me out. And also a sign to players maybe umming and ahhing of whether they want to come to Fulham. If you've not seen that performance yesterday, if you watched that first on Match of the Day, you might think, oh, that looks a little bit of fun. You might also be thinking like, that looks like a hell of a lot of running. Um, <laughs> I might give that one a miss. <laughs> seems, like, seems like I need to be a marathon runner to, to play for Fulham. Um, 
Bryn Paulson asks Farrell, we haven't touched on his performance yet, so a good moment. He says, after Pereira gets his final ball sorted next game, will we win the league by eight or 10 points? I'm glad this actually came out because I thought that Andres Pereira, a really lively performance. He was really central to the way that Fulham played. I've got to say, apart from maybe Niskin's Cabano, he was probably one of the weaker performances yesterday. Not, But that... You know, that's to say that it was a weaker performance in a very good performance all round by a lot of players. And I don't think that's any slight against him. You know, it's coming into a difficult game. I think absolutely um, they point out that it's a bit of end product. And I think once that comes on, absolutely. I think that uh, he's got all the makings of a player who's really ready to fight for the cause. He really sort of got it tactically as well. Um Dan mentions earlier that in defence we were very much a 4-4-2, but in attack, he sort of mirrored what Harrison Reed was doing on one side, the same way that Fabio Carvalho did last season, operating in that sort of uh, left-hand um, forward position, not really a winger, not really uh, a central central play, playmaker, but sort of operating in that area, getting to the byline when he needed to, um, doing little balls here and there. But also he was very tenacious as well, much like Fabio Carvalho. Maybe Marco Silva thought, okay, I've lost this integral part of my team, but I still want to play largely the same way, the same way that most of this team are playing. So I'm going to try and find a player who's able to do the job that Fabio Carvalho did. And it was a very sort of Carvalho-esque performance with his own sort of spin on it. But yeah, I think I think the talent is there. I think the effort's there. Um, and I yeah, I think it was... Again, not his best performance, but there was certainly a lot there that makes me hopeful that he'll be very, very good this season. I think if you play football manager Farrell, you'll know that the role is called a Metzala uh, for a central midfielder that likes to get into the half spaces between the wing and the central midfield. Well, I think I ordered a Metzala at lunch earlier today as well. <laughs> I love nothing then more than a Mazzala for my uh, for like a starter just for uh, while I'm at an Italian. Um, Drew, uh, we've got three questions here from uh, Brett Rollins, and I think you can answer all three of them. Um, sure. We can we can snap through these. First of all, what is the feeling on Marco wearing a t-shirt for all of Scott Parker's mistakes? <laughs> dressing well wasn't one. Are we happy with the gaffer and a tee? Absolutely, mate. We Marco Silva's pure Colin Farrell vibes he is far cooler than Scott Parker will ever be Scott Parker with those absolute awful stripes on that blazer what is that immediate relegation straight away sorry <laughs> t-shirt all day keep okay. it simple Brett's next questions how were the concourse beers the upgrade I, to, to hell's uh, I didn't manage to get one because the queue was too long and I didn't miss any of the game. Even Don Betts said it's the first game that he never missed any of it. So I can't can't comment. Wow. I, know, I, had, a, I, had, a, I had a Camden House before the game. I enjoyed it. Um, I have remortgaged. How much was it? £6.80. <laughs> but dad, got, more dad, dad, dad bought it for me though. So I didn't. Oh, didn't right, okay. Yeah. I bought the parking, but he but dad bought the beers. So um, yeah, that was the that. Um, third question. Uh, why on earth was Hey Jude played just before kickoff? Oh. Now, this is a controversial one. I am ready to answer this question. Uh, I go, think we're go, all chomping go, at the bit. Go for it. Right, listen. When I was a young lad, I, I have a memory of walking through uh, Alice Holt Forest with my dad, and we were singing about Brent. Uh, we was actually for started singing about how we hated Brentford, but we also was we always used to sing in the nineties, "Hey Jude" with Fulham. So 
we always did it. And I remember saying on uh, Thursday Club last season, like um, we'd sing about the club and we wouldn't sing about players. And, and Hey Jude was one of the songs that we used to sing at Craven Cottage. So I'm sure I'm not alone in the fact that I'm, I'm pleased to bring it back. Uh, Brentford can uh, F off. Uh, it's not their song. Uh, I think it's, it, I think we've got the history and they've just, uh, they've just had it talked about recently, but um, I was buzzing that it came back. I thought it came back at just the right time. I thought it was perfectly pitched. I was absolutely gassed to the gills, brother. It made me really excited before kickoff. Um, and it was perfect. Long may it return. It's not Brentford's. Thanks. Okay. Um, any, any wider panel? I, I, I was a little bit uncomfortable with it, but I mean, I do get Drew's point. I was firmly on the side that it absolutely, this is going to be the first and last time I hear it just before kickoff. Um, but after Drew's little rant, I'm actually a little bit, I'm actually uh, convinced a little bit. I think I've been converted. I do think it's really, really rogue to play just before kickoff. There was a discussion on one of the, on one of the groups, whether it was on Telegram, about what song that we should play just just before kickoff, yeah. um, and there was all sorts of suggestions. And I think obviously the obvious one was "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You." But I do, I am reminded about that they tried to do that in the first relegation season, 20, 2014. and it just it just didn't work. There's something about it about playing that song over the tannoy just doesn't get the crowd crowd going per se. But if we make it a thing and keep keep going at it, then perhaps it could work. And I think what they actually tried to do was actually do it so that just before they start, just before they kick off, they start playing the song. And when it gets the duh, 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 they actually turn the music off as the players, as the players are kicking off. So it keeps the... That sounds keeps class. The- what? I mean, I, I was... I don't know why not- it doesn't work. I wasn't around in the 2013-14 season because I was on my year abroad. So I don't remember that, but I think that sounds absolutely quality. I mean, any I other it, suggestion, I think the club will be welcome to it. That's for sure. Drew? I think it's a case of keep it simple, stupid. Like we, uh, you know, trying to get 20,000 people to do one thing is quite difficult. Give it something like that, which everybody everybody knows the tune. Everybody can get behind it. Everybody then was singing it pre-kickoff. It it worked and and it has a history. It does. And, and, and I will I will fight anyone to the death who disagrees. Fair enough. <laughs> There's also an element that these things come about naturally, like the at half time London calling. At first, no one did shout the live by the river, but now it's become a thing. But that's happened over like a decade. So if we are going to get something that's going to really sort of get 20,000 people singing like Muppets or, or stupid people, as Drew says, it's going to take a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and we had a question here that um, I'm going to me read more out as a point, really. He says, do you think the match day atmosphere has improved? No clappers. He says, love the banners slash scarves against Luton. Hey Jude, a questionable yet good song. Um, I think the club have learned from the last games of last season as the ground was rocking yesterday. Need to make Craven Cottage a fortress. I'm not going to go on to the ticket prices now, but I still think that's slightly linked to it. But yeah, the the atmosphere does seem to be improving. I'm I'm happy things like the clappers have gone, and hopefully, as soon as once the Riverside Stand opens more, and maybe the club can focus on other parts of the ground, and maybe it's, it feels as well that like they've had a summer as well to think about a few things. You know, small things like the beer getting better, um, the transfer of the summer from San Miguel to to Camden. Um, small things like that go an awful long way and and long may it continue that actually 
some thoughts given to it and it's not just the same old stuff trotted out year after year more than happy to try new things hey jude whether it's popular or not it was nice to have something different someone going should we try something a little bit different should we play a different song before a game that's that's nice i approve of trying things and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but better than just to kind of go oh no we're just gonna stick with it because it's what we've what we've always done and it's fine um quick question for you um dan i feel like we've nearly touched on every player in the team um but andrew henderson would like uh to ask just how good was ream yesterday um one thing i noticed with ream's performance and maybe the defense in general is i felt like they were sometimes a bit panicky and i wondered if it just came from them knowing that they were playing liverpool there's a couple of times where either Tim or Tosin or Robinson could have just said time to each other. And they were a bit sometimes, but they were mostly just because they were, did a clearance when they could have controlled the ball. Often it wasn't really a a big deal. It was just like, they were obviously nervous and panicky, but I thought second goal aside, which was a little bit, I don't even know if you can blame Reem. You've got to go for a header when, when you see it. And if no one gives you a call, I thought it was a good performance from Tim Reem. And clearly, Jao Polina giving him some protection helps as well. But considering all that was made of him before the game, and I feel like we know from Tim Ream's character that he'll be fully aware of what was being said. Um, I thought he did absolutely excellently, and I could not be more pleased for him. No, I, yeah, I completely agree. And I think it was a, a really good entire unit defensive performance. And Tim Ream had a couple of standout moments within that as well. When you look at the clearance off the line, which mm. it weirdly got missed off the match of the day highlights, which was a, quite a significant moment in the game. Um, and there was also a moment when Niskan's Cabano hit the post. That was Tim Ream nipping in yeah. front of Darwin Nunez, uh, defending on the front foot very well. So I, th- I think he played really well. I think his strengths, we all know, are, are in his sort of reading of the game and he struggles more when he gets isolated. So it's always going to help when you have that protection. Uh, but that's not putting his performance down at all because he did his job well. But to preface all of it, it is also partly just that whole unit defending together. And I think people sometimes have this argument of which one's the better one between Tosin and Tim Ream, because some people think that, that Tim Ream's churning out better performances. However, I do think that actually Ream playing next to a centre-back of the quality of Tosin brings his own level up as well. I think they, they, they meet in the middle where, you know, that they, they complement each other well, but they, they, Tosin especially helps Tim Ream out a lot as well, I think. But you can't you can't put him down at all against Liverpool. Yeah, we all thought he'd get in a lot of trouble, and he did his job very well. Yeah, um, Drew. Obviously, we think there might be a signing or two even before the Wolves game. We've got Bert Leno, who is chomping at the bit on the bench to start as as number one. Shane Duffy's come in. Do you think Marcus Silva sticks with, particularly Reem and Rodak? Let's focus on Reem and Rodak until they make themselves droppable because it seems like the sensible move to me, but also let's say we signed Issa Diop this week. It's going to be bloody tempting to, to put in those who sh- players who should be higher caliber, who have ha- higher reputations. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I think um, there's, there's two, there's always two sort of sides, you know, we sentimentality in football is all is rife and it will always be rife. And they say there's no room for it, but there is, and there's always going to be these conversations. Um, 
I think that Marco Silva is a man and a coach who probably is um, has enough credit in the bank to be pragmatic about these sorts of things. And somebody like Tim Ream, I don't think will. I think he'll understand if we did bring in our starting centre back uh, on you know marquee signing uh, that they'd come in. Um, we know that Marek is. Uh, a little bit perturbed about Leno's arrival and, and you know fair enough rightly so um, but again I think I don't think many people outside of Matt Rodak would begrudge Silver for putting Leno in between the sticks he's been brought in to be our number one No, nobody's stupid enough to, to think that's not the case um, I find it incredible that we're talking about oh you know um, Ream you know should we drop Ream when the new centre-back comes in after all of the chat pre, pre-Liverpool but look that's that's an excellent position to be in um, I think so to just to sum it up and be quick I think Leno starts um, pretty soon probably sooner rather than later we can't we can't drop Ream at the moment anyway to move points we haven't got anyone to do it we're certainly not going to do it for Shane Duffy um, God, God bless the ugly duffling <laughs> <laughs> what? Great. Off the, off the top of the dome. I will say that, that Marco Silva has set himself out in the in the past season anyway, in that championship season, as very much if you perform well, you keep your spot. And I think we saw that throughout, especially, you know, even when you look at like when Nico Williams came in and Kenji Tete came back from injury and actually stayed out of the team because Nico Williams did nothing to suggest that he should be dropped. And now I think that puts a little bit of a test on that because if you're talking about Rodak versus Leno, Ream versus whichever new centre-back it is, there seem there is a little bit more of a difference in quality than when you look at the alternative options we had in the squad in the championship. And so I think it might put... I, I think those merited selections based on, oh, you haven't done anything wrong so you can keep your spot might slowly disappear this season when we have actual superior players available to play. I'd respect Marco, though, if he carried it on. It's a good point you mentioned there. I remember when Nat Chalaba got that run in the team middle way through last season, and, and he played well, I think, against Hull away, and he kept his spot for two or three games after that, and then I think he had a bit of a poor performance, then he lost his spot. I, I have, If we go up to Wolves and it's Rodak and Ream again, I'm more than happy with that and and if that's the way that marco goes then then i've got to i've got to respect that um thank you all for all your brilliant questions today absolutely loads might save a, a couple of them for the thursday club on thursday um as you'd imagine um but yeah thank you very much for all your questions today and thank you for listening um a bumper pod today what a way to start the season and kick things off for the 22 23 campaign Uh, a marvelous performance and a marvelous performance uh, from all my guests on the podcast Uh, just before we finish um dan what would you like to name the show I think based on likes and also the visual expressions of people when I read this one out in this uh, call, that we'll go with Mike Levy's Red Prem Redemption. Yeah, clear winner. Sometimes on three-word reviews, there is just one that stands head and shoulders above the rest. Um, Mike, excellent work there. Uh, Thank you for your contribution. Uh, Gents, thank you very much for being on the show today. Farrell Monk, thank you. Thank you very much, Sammy. Or as you've put your name in the system that we use to record the podcast, Mana Solomonk. <laughs> I try and come up with a new one every single time. I think that's up there with one of my favourites. Yeah, it's very, very it's, good. It's good to have a name that's quite versatile. 
It's a very versatile no. name, isn't it? I don't know why it just seems to work with with lots of things. So, um, congratulations to your mum and dad on uh, on picking an excellent name. <laughs> it's nice to have some sort of positive contribution to this podcast after six years. Oh, don't you do yourself a disservice, Farrell. Dan Cook, thank you. Thanks for the contract renewal, Sammy. Pleasure to be back. Oh, good stuff. You uh, signed that extension super early. We a- we activated the option in your uh, in your contract, the one year <laughs> the one year extension. So you didn't have a choice. Actually, we just uh, we activated it. We we had the full power in that one. Uh, Drew Heatley, thank you. Thank you very much, Sammy. What an enjoyable way to start the season. I don't think I've stopped drinking since full time. So happy days. <laughs> <laughs> That's partly just being a parent as well, isn't it? Yeah, just stress. <laughs> All right. Well, that will do for today. Thank you very much for listening. As I mentioned, Thursday Club will be back in the week with myself, Jack and Peter. More reaction to the Liverpool game and then looking ahead to that Wolves game at Molyneux on Saturday, our first away game of the campaign. Uh, But until then, have a glorious start to the week. It's lovely and sunny in the UK. We can all have a smile on our face after opening the season in style. When you ice. 